Hi folks, Chris here. You know, the one you already hear a lot from. I don't normally do this, but I wanted to thank you all for listening to our show. Sorry, honey, it's been a long time coming, and we couldn't be more excited about how many of you are digging in and coming along on this ride with us. If you want to support the show, please leave a review on iTunes or Google Podcasts. It's almost bizarre how powerful a simple few words and a high rating can be to help spread the word. You can come chat with us at our Discord server. Let us know how many wrong decisions we've made. You can find the link at sorryhoney.captivate.fm. There is also a Twitter and a Reddit where we'll post supplemental content periodically. Finally, if you prefer to show your support with cold, hard cash, you can do so at coffee.com slash sorryhoney. That's K-O-F-I. Oh, and you can also email us at sorryhoney.cast at gmail.com where certain entities will read your words. Thank you again. We're coming back to our wonderful agents of Cell R, and we're going to indulge in the Delta Green home scene, which is a short vignette that's pretty pretty well structured by the new rules. Tells us exactly what the agent or agents have been up to in between operations. It's an opportunity to recover some sanity or pay attention to their loved ones and their personal life and professional lives. Or it's maybe a way to stay on the case, keep going, dive deeper, for better or for worse. But before we get into that with each one of our agents, last operation, we ended up seeing Agent Relic in a hospital bed. I think we'll we'll begin with exactly what that looks like now, weeks, maybe months later. The sky is a bruised purple, smattered with wisps of fast-moving cirrus that twist and break across it like ocean surf. David Burton is finally comfortable. The wooden chair creaks a bit whenever he readjusts, but otherwise the night is filled only with the clacks and calls of cicadas filling the tree branches below. He's still not used to it, the arm being gone, that is, and he set his drink on his left side out of habit. David picks up the glass now, takes a sip. He watches the eerie orange smile along the western horizon dimly pulse, reflecting off the swiftly moving clouds above. Sometimes the force burns, and if his colleagues do their job, it's a good thing. It's a chance for regrowth, change, transformation. David takes another sip. His phone 
again placed on his left side out of habit, begins to buzz, cutting through the night's uneasy tranquility. It's that phone. Not the one his daughter sometimes calls to check up on him. He watches it vibrate on the wooden table next to him, letting it ring and ring. Without fully realizing it, David relents and picks it up before he can think better of it. Relic, this is Snedeker. We're putting together L-Cell. A couple of med techs and a black bag op that did some CIA work in Afghanistan. Do you think you can meet them in Anchorage in two days and run support? They, they need a handler. <laughs> you, uh, you want me to take your job, Snedeker? What, uh, losing a limb gets me a star by my name? Uh, something like that. They need someone running intel while they are out hunting. Someone who can piece together a briefing for them and be aligned to ASL. I'm asking you again, are you able to do this? <sighs> yeah. Yeah, I'll do it. Good. I'm going to send you a number. It's your connect to the director of operations. That's Manon. He'll get you the info and set you up with a comms package. You'll be working out of a safe house. David hears the click. The chair creaks groans loudly as he stands up. The horizon now, it seems to burn brighter. Right. That's our little send-off for Agent Relic. Goodbye, Agent Relic. My gosh. <laughs> for now. For now. <laughs> that was, I can't tell. I mean, the character started out almost as a joke, and I was like, I'm going to play a park ranger. Let's do that. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, like, over, I don't know how many games, I just kept throwing him into, like, the most dangerous situations, and whenever it came down... The roles always seem to work out, so there you go. Until they didn't. <laughs> Until they didn't. <laughs> yep, that's how it is. <laughs> Amber, introduce yourself. Let us know who you're playing, and what has your agent been up to, and what do they do when they receive the missive from the program? So, I'm Amber, playing Agent Roizen. Since we last saw our team, Roizen has been... Back at Camp Peary, doing some more training off and on with new recruits, mostly. Uh, occasionally, she gets a team of older agents uh, looking to learn a little more about the Middle East. That being said, in her downtime, she's been digging through all those fun photos she took at Wild Out There stuff and looking deeper into the contents of the laptop she appropriated from Jeff Jenkins. So it sounds like she's continuing the investigation. Yep. Cool. So staying on the case means you're going to reduce any non-Delta Green bond by one and potentially gain some sanity back. Now you're going to either roll Criminology or the Occult, but I'll, I'll need to go ahead and roll that for you. So I'll do that now. I mean, they're the same, so it's not going to matter. <laughs> so reading through the materials that Jeff had on his laptop. No matter how many times you revisit these photocopied of photocopies, these digital artifact-filled representations of, of something that looks like an aged and damaged manuscript, well, no matter how many times you reread it, it just doesn't make sense. It, at one point, sounds like the ramblings of someone who was involved with some sort of otherworldly congress with a strange entity he kept in his basement that spoke to him in his dreams. Sometimes though, it it sounds like it's about a dream that someone had of this this surreal encounter. And before long, you you have a difficult time really piecing together the narrative at all. It seems to flow into itself and then, well, become a meta-narrative of what it's trying to, to tell you. Honestly, it, it, it's become this very confusing enigma for you, where you do tend to want to revisit it often. It's unsettling, it's um, disturbing text, but there's something about it. There's something familiar now and comforting even. Every time you return your attention to it, it always has something new for you. In times when you feel stressed out, well, it's, it's it's something to go to, to calm your nerves. Ew. Wow. This should make for some interesting points in the future. <laughs> yeah, you're a big fan. As far as the photos that you took, you're 
hit with kind of pangs of regret as you look through them. They, they look pretty interesting. You would have loved to have put your hands on them before the entire building was reduced to cinders as you you four retreated away from, from the burning, burning fires that you set. Uh, one was a small vial of, of a white liquid under a glass case. You see the label says, real blood from a Zeta reticulin. Another was a large crustacean that looks like it had been carefully painted with a preserving enamel, uh, partially damaged. But uh, the label on that was colorfully uh, set as found in the stomach of an unlucky soul. What might be hitching a free ride right now with you? You also saw and took a picture of a few slivers of quartz gems. The plaque there read, alien energy crystals might still work. <laughs> but the item that you're, well, mostly interested in, and again, uh, regretful that you'll never get to examine it further, was a strange tarot card in a sleeve. The artistic detail didn't get picked up too well with your phone, but it was obviously quite intricate. It was titled Le Imperier. figure depicted there is a hunched, yellow-hooded man holding a mask in front of his face. The mask appears to have long horns emanating from the eye sockets. The man's also wearing a crown and appears to be judging the viewer. It reminds you of something, and this is this is a photo that you have up and next to you whenever you're reading the photocopied pages of Monsters and Their Kind, copied from Jeff Jenkins' laptop. You're back in a sort of rhythm, though. Just a newly added melody of research into strange things you discovered before long perhaps weeks later you do receive a missive from the program we won't read it just yet but you know that you're being called back into the field to detroit michigan tell me how roizen reacts responds prepares and inevitably makes her way good news is being on loan it's a lot easier for Roizen to adjust her schedule and take off than it likely is for her other teammates so she'll contact the people she's organizing classes with let them know she'll be off base for the next two-ish weeks visiting some family friends who flew into the country on a surprise pack up her backpack throw a few extra things in after the last opera uh, that she has discovered she probably needs um, and set off. Any any hints what that might be? Definitely extra earplugs. She would like to <laughs> not be the only one with hearing at the end of this. And she mm -hmm. really isn't learn interested in learning American Sign Language on top of all the other languages she already speaks. Um, gotcha. That's very <laughs> kind of you. Because they, uh, they're going to need it. Yeah, Good. A little self-preserving there. My random number generator tells me that, Michael, it's your turn. Can you introduce yourself? Let us know what your agent's been up to. Yes, I am Michael. Uh, my agent is Agent Ryan. He, in discovering his uh, dental enhancements, for mm. lack of a better Remind us term. of what, what that remind us what that was yeah waking up in the or getting checked out in the hospital you know, at the same time that agent relic did the nurse pointed out that he seemed to have an extra set of teeth oh yeah along his his gum line nice. there and in a degree of denial goes home goes to sleep but the fear and terror is reconfirmed the next morning so he goes to his desk and fishes out a, a phone that's got a little bit of dust across it from the bottom drawer and turns it on for the first time in a very long time. Dials a number that he has memorized. When the phone is answered, he tells the gentleman that he needs a dentist. A, a unusual request. Do you wanna do you wanna role play that? I don't think we need to. Okay. I think what we'll say is is you make this phone call. It's a number to a network that you've utilized before. Yep. You make your request and the phone disconnects and you were called back after 20 minutes and you are told that uh, you will have a caller at the address of your choosing and discretion is appreciated. You actually arrange to have this caller come to your 
private residence. Before long, you're sitting in one of your comfortable chairs, dozing off when a, well, well-kept individual looms over you, placing a mask from a mobile nitrous oxide tank over your nose and mouth. And yeah, you undergo dental surgery to have a correction. Now you are told by this specialist that it will never be the same there on the left side of your face, but he will at least ensure that you will have no speaking limitations and also ensure that it heals up well. He tells you that you will need follow-up surgeries potentially, however, and he gives you his card. Anything else that Agent Ryan does in his time? Agent Ryan continues on life as usual, you know, doesn't, Okay. yeah. Yep. So you're fulfilling your responsibilities? Um, I was actually thinking of this as, uh, would the dental surgery not be indulging a personal motivation? What's the what's the motivation you're indulging? Getting uh, my teeth fixed? Actually, you have motivations on your character sheet oh. uh, that keep you keep you running. Now, if oh. one of them is dental perfection, it's then yeah. Not. I forgot about So you've got uncovering the mystery behind your father's death, protecting your mother, building your wealth and autonomy, and removing obstacles that are in your way, such as a pastor. Uh, all right. I do like the idea of indulging a personal motivation, but I don't think, I, I'd like to do that kind of based off of the previous mission. And I can't think of anything off of the previous mission that would, that would do that. One of the other things I would like to do though is a special training motivated by injury and you know inability to mm. uh, get out unscathed that's kind of be it ego or whatever it might be uh, motivated agent ryan to uh improve his skills like it like it like a agility slash awareness sort of i don't speed sure Reflexes, sure so that kind of lane. maybe i think like i think the what you're trying what you would like to do here is dodge so that's actually improving a skill. Yeah. What that means is you are actually probably going to go to an Aikido class or two, learn from a master, right, right, and reduce a non-delta green bond by one, and you'll have a chance to increase your dodge by a certain amount. That's that's kind of how that would work. Yeah, I'd like to do that then. And Royce and I did forget to uh, to have you decrease one of your your bonds by one. So if you wouldn't mind taking care of that while we continue with Ryan for me. Certainly. So Ryan, which bond would you like to reduce? I just did on my character sheet. I did my child. Oh, thank you. Friend, Excellent. Ab- Abdurrahman Hamad. So Abdurrahman didn't get that that Thursday call that he's used to or something like that. I'm busy, um, bud. Sorry, man. <laughs> yeah. It's, well, he he takes it personally. Mm-hmm. So so cool. So let's let's see how you do here. Go ahead and roll your dodge for me, please. Okay. Since you succeeded, there's no effect. So even though you're really focusing on this skill. <laughs> focusing on fuck? this skill and, and, and learning as best as you can. You haven't made any any progress in this short time between operations. That's hilarious. Uh, now, know. while you've meta not gained any skill, you now have some understanding of Aikido, and therefore, maybe you think you're a little better than you are. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Horrible pun. <laughs> Mis- misplaced confidence is uh, what That's you currently so have. Funny. Okay. When Ryan does receive this electronic missive, better known as an email, why am I saying electronic missive? Uh, Better known as an email that is obviously from the program and telling him that he needs to be in Detroit. What, uh, how does he respond? How does he deal with this personal life, professional life, et cetera? Yep, so he's on on the personal front just as he was sort of with the the first mission. He's a bit of a a lone wolf in that way. And again, his assistant Chloe is used to uh, handling his schedule so he gives her a call letting her know that you'll be gone for at a minimum of the following week and we'll check in to to let her know if that leave is going to be extended and to to handle work barring anything urgent and then does his normal kind of packing go bag and then asks her to uh set up a a charter for for detroit Chloe, in typical Chloe fashion, gets this done extremely quickly, the highest competence, and you're out on the next first class flight, hopefully to arrive well before you need to. Eric, would you like to introduce yourself? Tell us about the, well, tell us the agent that you're playing and 
and uh, let's let's talk about that home scene. My name is Eric Lundberg, and I'm playing Romeo. He's an agent with the FBI. For now. <laughs> Until he gets inevitably fired for... All that hooky. All that hooky, that's right. <laughs> cool. So what? What is? Uh, how does he spend his time? When Aaron returns home, he kisses his wife, Jenna, kisses his child, Stacy, giving her a coloring book he grabbed at the airport. He makes up an excuse for why he's home earlier than planned. The AC at the convention hall went out, so the whole thing got canceled and put off TBD. Aaron makes his way to his office in the back of the house and checks that the hair that he placed in his secret compartment has not been moved and stows his operation gear. As he exits the closet, Jenna inquires how the training went otherwise. Oh, it was terrible, boring, procedural, and I don't know why I was selected for it. I just want to sleep for the week, since bureaucratically, I have the time off anyways. He then tears his clothes off, down to his undershirt and briefs, and lays face down on the bed, falling asleep almost immediately. Aaron dreams of darkness and the things that move like lightning within. His dreams of pursuit and being pursued. Of great mouths filled with teeth that gnash and gnaw in the dark. When the horrible maw finds his neck, he jolts awake, panting, covered in a thick sheen of sweat. He looks to his wife and sees she wasn't disturbed by his sudden movements. Aaron makes his way into the kitchen, fetching a glass of water from the fridge spout, and sees a crayon picture Stacy made, attached by a magnet. It depicts a stick figure drawing of mom, dad, and me in front of a house with a smiling sun and waving flowers. He stares at it, forgetting his water for what feels like ages. This is why he does what he does, the simple purity of this drawing. Of all the innocence this world still holds, it's all the reason he needs to keep going. Aaron resolves to put himself back into living as best he can and compartmentalize the horrors he deals with for Delta Green. He'll thrust himself into his life and work until otherwise called to action again. And that's going to play out as uh, fulfilling his responsibilities. Roll your sanity. Okay. Well, unfortunately, it's all too soon when Agent Romeo receives an email, obviously from someone in the program, who is summoning him to Detroit, Michigan. How does he get out of this one? Yeah, how how too how, soon is it? Or how, <laughs> how does he commit? I would say this is uh, several weeks later. Yeah, he's had some time to settle back into the routine. Sure. Okay. He's going to <laughs> he's gonna go to his boss and say uh, he's just gotten off the phone with his wife. There's been a death in her family, mm. and he needs to take some time off for bereavement. Got it. Go ahead and roll your... This time, roll your bureaucracy, please. His what, Chris? Bureaucracy. 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 <laughs> how many, how many, how many R's in that one? I don't know. <laughs> well, my notes say there are 12 R's, so I tried my... My you best. pronounced um, it perfect. He's reading the hypergeometric interpretation of bureaucracy. A hypergeometric. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay here goes bu- bureauc- bureaucracy. bureaucracy. It is a tough one, and uh, that's a fail. I see that. I see that. It's not very bureaucratic of you. Your request is granted pretty quickly. You go ahead and let your family know that you're back. Back in the situation where you need to attend a follow-up training and uh hopefully this time it'll only be two to three days but uh you'll you'll let them know if it 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 might be longer so john you don't have to tell us too much about lenny hargrave really we'll discover much about him during the course of the game i would like you to set the scene where lenny is and what he's doing when he receives a missive from the program now he has worked with agents from the program before every time he's been brought on as a spe- uh, what they call specialized talent or a more you more colloquially a, a friendly to the program and typically this means he gets some free meals free flight and he gets to kind of show off all the esoteric weird stuff that he has stuffed in his head that nobody else cares about it's actually an exhilarating time for him. He does receive this email, and I'll, I'll ask you again if, if you wouldn't mind at some point reading it for our lovely audience. But um, but yeah, where where is he when he gets this? What is he up to? And how does he manage to extract himself from his personal life in order to get out into the field? Yeah, so my name's John, and, and 
this season, <laughs> I'll be playing uh, <laughs> Lenny Hargrave, uh, friendly. He is a, um, a 39-year-old uh, senior conservation scientist who works at the Getty Museum in Los Angeles. But mostly, he spends a lot of time kind of buried down in some of the uh, sub-basements of the museum. That's where his office is located, uh, toiling away on some of the weirder, weirder aspects. He's often forgotten, overlooked, but for him, that's just fine. So, occasionally when he does get a call, um, it's pretty straightforward for him to put in a request saying, hey, I've, I've got a you know consultation gig at this other museum in another city. A colleague has reached out and asked for some help in the field. Based on his, you know, typically with his results, uh, usually those things are granted. He'll often burn BTO. Um, he doesn't use it for anything else. He usually has enough, and they've been fine granting that from time to time. Have you been to the Getty, John? I haven't. I would love to visit it, but I haven't been there, no. Dude, it's sick. <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah. I've never been to Los Angeles, and I'm playing a guy who's grown up and lived there his entire life, so we'll, we'll figure it out. This is another situation where Michael has first-hand experience, so he will meticulously <laughs> correct you, pedantically lecture you on all the things you've gotten wrong. Please do. I've lived in Detroit as well, Chris, so you better not fuck this next one up. <laughs> oh, you lived in Detroit too? No, Are I'm, you I'm, kidding I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I am kidding. I, am kidding. I, it, I have been to Detroit. I was about to throw out a couple restaurant <laughs> names, but I decided not to be that much of a dick about it. <laughs> Although I, I think it's pronounced Drutroit, right? Yeah, Drutroit. it's Drutroit. So yeah, uh, Linny receives an email that is, for him, a bright flashing sign. He knows this is coming from that, well, that group within the government that he has worked for from time to time that he can't say anything about to anybody. He feels apprehension and exhilaration all at once. Yeah, so one, uh, one morning he gets in, he's drinking his cup of coffee, pops up in his, uh, his email, and finds an email titled, New Detroit Stars Emerge! Exclamation mark. Odd one. So he pops it open and read, starts reading. Good morning, fellow patron of the art. You are cordially invited to attend a night out at the Detroit, Michigan Opera House. Our friend Steve Bourne will be awaiting your arrival. He can be contacted at 313-237-7464. The acts in this opera are very similar to a previous opera authored by person, a person of great interest, Jeffrey Jenkins. Can you find any common themes between the first act and the latter acts? If you don't like the music, feel free to stop the production, as a spread of such material could be harmful to the arts. Regards, A. Griffin. And his first thoughts are, you know, as he's initially reading, he says, I don't know anyone at the Detroit, Michigan opera, but uh, as he continues through the email, he starts realizing that this is a uh, strange email and that this is clearly from the organization that has called him in the past. And he also immediately types in the name Jeffrey Jenkins into Google to see what comes back. Well, a lot comes back. Without further context, nothing really piques his interest or, or sticks out as, uh, as anything interesting, unfortunately. Well, at that point, he uh, walks over to his boss's office and kind of awkwardly says, Hey, I've, I've been, uh, been uh, asked to, to go um, consult at a friend's uh, or a colleague's museum in, in Detroit. Uh, I'll need to leave leave pretty soon. Uh, is that will that be an issue? Will there be any problems with that? Roll your bureaucracy. Oh, super failed. Yeah. So it actually takes a bit of time, and and you working around uh, what what is a pretty packed schedule. There's a new exhibit opening that you actually had a pretty well important um, role in, and yeah, it, it it's 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 definitely not. It becomes very clear that there's a little passive aggression there as you both try to work to get someone to well, cover some of the things that you were going to take charge of. By the time you're leaving 
the museum that night, you're, you're kind of playing back through some of that interaction in your head and, and you really don't think that went well, but you do have the time off. <laughs> cool. So each one of you has arranged for your own transportation to Detroit. I think for all of you, this means by plane. Though correct me if I'm wrong. Is anybody driving in or taking a train or a Just bus? A nice Greyhound ride, 48 hour trip. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, Froizen's actually going to take the train. Ooh, okay. So getting that Amtrak ticket and and heading your way in, well, that works just fine. As each one of you is arranging and packing and preparing and inevitably boarding your transport vessel, you have an opportunity to wait to use the contact phone number that you received or to call it immediately. I'll uh, let each one of you let me know what your agent does. Do you want to call us an order or just talk? Yeah, just talk. So when Ryan lands, he makes his way to a hotel downtown, a very nice hotel downtown, and uh, is is eager about getting started. So he go, goes ahead and, and calls the number as soon as he's settled in his room. Well, it picks beep, up beep, after... Beep, 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 boop, boop. <laughs> after wondering him dialing and uh the the voice is uh is is one you you've never never heard before thank you though for the foley work i'm gonna definitely get your help uh on, on post i didn't realize we had such a talent in the room yeah i'll let you know if i'm available yeah yeah yeah. i'll, I'll, check I'll call him, you check him on fiverr we'll we'll figure something out we'll figure something out yeah voice you've never heard before hello hello this is ryan ah got it uh one second. Here's some fumbling around. The voice is now closer to the receiver, as if, as if the gentleman's being conspiratorial with his his uh, his own phone. Yeah, we're uh, <clears throat> gonna meet at the Michigan State Crime Laboratory. You familiar? Ryan pulls his phone away, does a quick search on that, the one on Park Avenue or whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you look yeah. up where it is, Chris? Do we have an actual address? <laughs> I uh, We could. I mean, The one on such and such a street? Yeah. Uh, it's under renovations right now. Come to the back, rear access door, tomorrow. Hours of uh, 8 and 11, we're just going to wait for everybody to arrive. <clears throat> and then we'll, uh, we'll talk. Do you need me to bring anything? Uh... I don't think you'll need anything. If you want to bring me a, maybe an energy drink or something, I'd appreciate it. Sure. See you there. He hangs up. I assume my other agents are going to call the same number. Oh, yeah. Yep. Excellent. I will say, yes, Lenny does. When he lands, he calls a number. The voice is the same gruff, cigarette-stretched rasp that answered for Agent Ryan. Without uh, going through each one of these conversations separately, is there anything any agent asks that Ryan didn't that they would like to elicit from this person? Can you tell me more about uh, Steve Bourne? Is that you? Yeah, okay. that's me. I'm uh, I'm Dr. Okay. Bourne. Good, good, good. And Dr. Bourne, how are you familiar with Jeffrey Jenkins? We can talk about that when uh, when the whole crew sets up and gets here tomorrow. Sure. All right. Okay, that'll do. All right. Bring me an energy drink or two. I uh, <laughs> really need to pick Those me up. These are really bad for your heart. Are you sure? I'm a doctor. <laughs> PhD. Uh, <laughs> a doctor. Uh, yeah. A doctor of what? Yeah. <laughs> Clown college. <laughs> Double PhD. <laughs> do any other agents or friendlies ask Doctor Bourne anything in addition to? Where and when and who? Ryzen would have been making this call from the train, so she's going to say as little as possible. Got it. Very much all business, Ryzen. I think that's her MO at this point. Pretty much, yeah. Anything else I need to know or any other information that your agents would ask of, of this gentleman before we switch to that scene? I think Agent Ryan should have inquired a little bit more into Bourne's identity. Nice. Uh... <laughs> Agreed. You should have. But he'll let it be. He'll let it be. He's never heard that one before. He would have chuckled. It would have been a sensible chuckle. Love a good sensible chuckle. So the large facility that is the Michigan State Crime Laboratory 
it's uh, obviously home to many different law enforcement offices as well as medical offices. It's something that would typically be bustling day and night. However, it's clear that the recent renovations going on as each one of you arrives, all that construction has dampened this typical activity at the site. Honestly, the, the large complex it seems rather abandoned. Plastic sheeting flutters in the night wind next to equipment and several aerial work platforms that are jutting out of various faces of the large stocky building. One by one, you find your contact waiting for you at the rear access door in the parking lot behind the structure. He's standing there, leaning against the wall, surrounded by spent cigarette butts. Seems to be fumbling to light another as you approach. He doesn't say much until all four of you are standing there in a semicircle facing him. He asks that you just wait for everyone to get here, enjoy the night air for now, and says, Silence uh, can be golden. Romeo silently pulls out a four loco and, and hands it to him. He nods appreciatively that you found such a relic that, uh, I guess those are sold now, They're but now, I think the, the, uh, alcohol the recipe changed and it's, yeah, yeah, yeah no, it has no, no more booze. alcohol, right? Yeah, yeah. Does is this like is this like a collector's item with no, alcohol? No, no. He just got he stopped at a corner store, oh. picked up a grape one. Uh, you know, grape the worst the worst possible yep. flavor. Got it. He looks at it. He kind of grimaces a little bit and sets it down on the on the ground next to his left shoe. Aaron just uh, nods sadly. I mean, Romeo just nods sadly. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Which which of the illustrious brands of energy drinks was he hoping for? <laughs> Obviously, Monster. Well, it's apparent. Yeah, <laughs> that one was not not the one for him. I, listener, uh, I can only describe this man as haunting and also haunted. Yeah, actually, I'll I'll, I'll go ahead and, and describe okay. him. That's what y'all. That's what y'all pay me for. St- Stephen Bourne defines grizzled. His weathered face speaks of heavy drinking, chain smoking, and stress. He has an unkempt shock of black hair with abrupt streaks of gray. It seems like he last attended to it maybe with the aid of a blind, thumbless barber. He is wearing a pristine lab coat, and without it, you four would probably mistake him for a vagrant. His eyes are narrowed slits, haunted. He looks as though he's peered beyond familiar truths. As each one of you arrives, he does politely offer you a cigarette and a light. Does anybody take him up on this? No. (laughs) Brian is not. (laughs) <laughs> Ryzen passes, but she offers him a donut from the box she's carrying. He seems very appreciative of that and takes hefty bites out of the donut, the pastry, as he uh, takes puffs of his newly lit cigarette. Lenny, you're the last one to arrive. And uh, as you step into this, as I described, a, a semicircle facing this grizzled man, you look around and realize you well, don't know anybody here. There's nobody from... Well, the, the last uh, couple of groups that you consulted for, and you shore yourself up a little bit. Hey, look at the new kid. Uh, hi. Hi, yeah. My name is, um, my name's Lenny. Uh, I was called in, I think, to, to help you all out with, uh, well, they didn't really tell me what, but um, something, something I could do. Yeah, John Romeo. Uh, he thrusts out his hand and, and shakes yours, uh, clasping his other hand on your shoulder as he does so. Yeah, good. Uh, Good to meet you. Yeah, so Roizen steps up. I'm Roizen. Would you like a donut? Uh, sure. Yeah, sure. The jelly ones are pretty good, says the lab coat covered man. Well, now that we're all here, he takes one last swallow. I've never cared much for opera. Too much drama. Too much bloodshed. Too much agony. I guess the show goes on whether we watch it or not. Till that fat lady wakes up and sings. Just go ahead and get this started. He grimaces, looks down, and spins on his heel, flashes a badge across a nearby maglock, opens the rear door. He holds it open for you to enter. As you four cautiously file through, Dr. Bourne guides you through fluorescent lit halls into a medical storage room. It's quite cramped in here. It's buttressed by tall metal shelves, stacked with plastic bags and containers, some marked with biohazard symbols. When he speaks, he allows an unlit cigarette to cling to his lip. We're here because our bosses 
pegged me for another fucked up autopsy. Happens every couple of months in this hellhole. Apparently lots of weird shit pokes up its head or what have you around here. Keeps me busy. I'd moved to some quiet little cabin in the woods, but I've been encouraged to sit tight. Just wait for these midnight phone calls from computer-generated voices telling me to serve my goddamn country. Takes a long breath. Anyway, apparently this one was a friend of someone else they've been watching. Otherwise, the cadaver would have been carved up by some second-year med student. This whole thing would have been forgotten in a couple of days after the next mutilated corpse washes up near Gross Point. He turns to his right, picks up a grubby clipboard that's stowed on a nearby shelf. He seems to refer to it when he goes over the following details. Victim. Sorry, Vic. <laughs> is Darren Hen. 28-year-old Caucasian male. Apparently some sort of blogger for an internet show called Beyond the Dark. Lost his head, though. His body was found early last Wednesday morning at Detroit Water Treatment Fact Number 3, south side of town. He spent roughly 10 to 20 hours in the sewer system before being found by workers. The decapitation was done through unknown means, and I noted strange one to two inch cylindrical markings along the wound, inconsistent with known bite mark patterns and blunt cutting traumas. Additionally, my examination discovered an unknown bacterial thrush on the wound, inconsistent with local Monera. My attempts to cultivate the bacteria failed. He looks up from his clipboard at this point, takes a pause. He points out- Is it consistent or inconsistent? Inconsistent with local Monera. Born then turns the clipboard in your direction. You see uh, he's lifted up some papers to reveal a municipal map of what looks like the south side of Detroit. And he points out to you the approximate location where the body was most likely dumped. He also provides you with uh, pictures of the unknown bacteria he collected from Hen's body. All five of you kind of huddle over these photographs, the report, and have a chance to ask questions. What do you know about Operation Treadstone? He takes out a gun and shoots himself. His body crumples to the floor. <laughs> Blood pools beneath him. Ryan re reels back, runs for the exit. The door's locked. The lights flash off. You're left in the darkness. There's uh, a heavy breathe. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, We're not doing this. <laughs> like, I was about to go into it. I was about to go into He suddenly discovers he knows skills he never explained. <laughs> could run out flat out for a mile without losing his breath. How, how do I know that? Why do <laughs> I, know, I know that? Sorry. Uh, let me read this. <laughs> See if I ask a real question. <laughs> who who found him? Uh, who workers. Found him? Workers at uh, water treatment facility number three. Have you seen anything like this before? Nah, nothing like this. You look like you might have seen some shit in your life. <laughs> uh, okay. Um... Uh, when you when you say one to two inch cylindrical markings along the neck, this is out of character. Are you saying that they're lengthwise or width or you know like are they horizontal or vertical? Let's see. Oh, vertical. And I genuinely can't even picture that. What does that mean? So he's got like gouges, what? cylindrical yeah. gouges in his neck that are vertical. That's a good way to describe it. Okay, got it. So Doc, what happened to him? So head decapitated. He shrugs. Pretty sure that uh, additional details are the reason that uh, you're here, right? Hey, can we get in your spaceship and fly to another dimension? He looks got him confused because he's because he's he's Rick from Rick Dog. and Morty. Oh, nice. I, I did bad. <laughs> I did bad. <laughs> Anyhow, um, as usual with with. <laughs> with, with our, uh, our briefing, I just have more questions than answers. Okay, how far was he found from how far he was assumed to have been dumped? Look, I can only give you a, a real radius here. Sure. Of where he may have been dumped and then uh, eventually washed up into now. the treatment plant, right? right? And so that's right here on this map that I've, I've shown you. Perfect. Okay. Do you have any idea how uh, fast that sewer water moves? Do you have a general... I do, actually, and that's why I gave you this radius here of where he was potentially dumped. That's actually how I calculated that area. That's dope, and I want you to know Yeah, that. yeah, it's, uh, I'm a doctor. 
It's what I do. Except know what he died of. <laughs> I mean, that's a good point. I don't. And, uh, <laughs> again, it's going to take some additional investigation, most likely. All right, Doc. Well, have you been able to get any kind of other uh, identification? Has there been any attempt to identify him? Man's name is Darren Hen. Oh, right. Sorry. According yeah, to the, uh, <laughs> the folks who employ us. And did he have any possessions on him? No. Okay. No, he did not. Nothing, nothing besides identification and a credit card. Do we know if he's survived by anybody? Does he have family? Next of kin? Potentially. That's nothing that I uh, have been asked to look into. I mean, you're just doing your part of the job. That's not a worry. But do you have that credit card? No, I don't have that credit card. Let me, let me show you something. He takes out his smartphone. Types. After a moment, he turns it towards you. You see it's on a, a website that you know looks like a, an artifact of the past, a time capsule, if you will. You're on a Contact Us page for a blog called Beyond the Dark. This here is, uh, well, the editor's mailing address and phone number well, of his employer. I've been instructed to tell you that this guy here, Danny Corsa, was likely the last person to have seen Darren alive. They didn't give me any further detail, though. He slowly nods at you. It's kind of awkward. Okay, perfect. That's a good thing to go on. They also told me to let you know Danny doesn't uh, respond, kind of cringes a little bit, respond well to authority. Oh, totally. He shrugs. I'm used to that. Were there no radiations on the body? Did you test for that? There are no radiation burns or indications of high-level exposure. All right, I have no further questions. Yeah, do you have the contact information for the responding officers? I don't. He looks around as there's this kind of heavy silence in the air. What? I I just do the autopsies and they told me to tell you a couple of things about this Danny Corso character. Sorry. It, no, totally understand. We'll stop by. I can think of a few places we can get the extra information. Sure. Yeah, as far as I know, I'm just handing this over to, you know, you, the experts. Uh, I did my part. Thank you so much. And you did it well. You earned yourself that four loco. Oh, uh, I, I must have left that outside when we came in to, to, to brief. Uh, hopefully I remember to pick it back up and bring it inside and drink it. That would deeply grimaces. cut me if you didn't. <laughs> that's, that's, that's. Romeo has no further questions. You have, again, just to review, an interim report of autopsy, which includes the details that were just communicated two slides of bacteria and the location of where the body may have been dumped. You also have been pointed directly to the address of the victims, I'm sorry, the Vic's employer. Are these slides pictures we were given? Is that what we were to understand? That's correct. Okay. That's correct. And And if there's anything you'd like to do or skills you'd like to roll, I am willing to uh, entertain anything. Well, they're two very different looking images, so that's pretty wild. I also have uh, photographs of the wound, if you'd like those. Oh, but, we'd love uh, that. Yes, please. He nods. He flips through his clipboard and passes those over as well. Fairly gruesome. Obviously a headless corpse, since none of you are well-trained in medical forensics or medicine at all. It just looks like a jagged, terrible wound. Awesome. Can I, can I roll a pharmacy on this? On, on the bacteria slides to see if that matches anything that I like, uh, am familiar with as a medicine or... or Do you have chemistry poison? or biology? That is a definite no. Yeah, it's... it's Your your pharmaceutical expertise does not yield any any insight from these, these slides of, of whatever organism has been captured here. Okay. How about a cult on the, uh, the removed head? I mean... No. Okay. Uh, no. No skill needs to be run. It, are there instances in occult lore of decapitations? Hundreds upon thousands. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Is the answer. Mm-hmm. Beautiful answer. All right. Well, we got an address. Let's let's go beat this kid up. Wow. <laughs> Ryan looks around dead serious. No, we're not beating um, anyone up until we've determined that it's the right course of action. Also, no shooting today, the talking huh? body until we're sure that the talking body needs to be shot, please. Well, that... That shouldn't be a problem this time around. 
Yeah, that's what I thought last time too. <laughs> the doctor, so the doctor, dark. seriously and grimly nods as if he completely understands and is following. Uh, Lenny, on the other hand, goes a little wide-eyed. Uh, uh, what? Just, just stick with me, Lenny. These two will get you into no end of trouble. Again. Uh, okay. Come on, children. We've got a water plant to visit. Uh, you're going to go to the water plant? Well, I need to see no, where the body to... was found and talk to the person who found it. So, yes. No, we need to go to Darren's place. Darren was the, or not Darren's place, the his employer, right? Listen, they put about 120,000 uh, gallons Danny, of sewage through that place uh, every hour. It's gonna I don't bad. think you're going to find much in, in the case of forensics. Now, if you, if, you, if you talk to the workers who found him, maybe... I, he shrugs. Listen, you're the experts. I'm sticking my nose where it don't belong. Chris, remind me where the uh, what the, what the name of the employer guy was? The guy who ran the thing. Sure. the The gentleman's name from the contact us page. The editor of the illustrious yeah. Beyond the Dark webzine is named Danny Corso. Danny Corso. Mm-hmm. We gotta go visit this Danny guy. Yeah, I think that's a good. It's okay if he doesn't like authority. We'll 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 talk to him. Ryan, I think you need to take it down a notch or two there because you're coming in hot. Thanks, man. Pops his collar. Honestly, <laughs> we also need to talk to the police who filed the report. Can you help me understand that, Royson? Whoever the responding officer was when the body was found, there's possibly information in the report that we don't have yet. All right. I'll give you that. Fair enough. I mean, I'm going to disagree. Um, d- respectfully, he shrugs. Uh, I saw the police report. It was John Doe found headless in sewer, more or less. But... Hey, again, he holds up his hands and trails off. Well, thank you, Doctor. We appreciate your your work here, and uh, we'll get out of your hair. I would also uh, <clears throat> let you know that this is filed as a John Doe with, uh, with the local PD. Understood. Uh, the only folks who know the names or the name of the deceased is, uh, well, us in this room and uh, I guess somebody, somebody at some station. But uh, they probably work for our bosses, too. That's what it would seem. Uh, all right. All right. Unofficial channels only. Are there any others when this shit's involved? <laughs> it takes a Sometimes. long, long drag on a cigarette. Really? Damn. Luckier than me. Guess they just call me when there's uh, a bunch of shit to clean up. All right. Let me walk you back out. He opens the door to the storage closet, leads you through the fluorescent lit halls, back outside into the dark parking lot. He picks up the four loco and squints at it, grasps it tightly. Seems he intends to drink it. You have my number. Hopefully I've given you everything that you need. If you find any other uh, victims. We'll give you a call. We can, we can probably do some shuffling and I can probably uh, be the one who attends. Sounds good. Well, keep that in mind, doctor. Thank you. Good luck. And good luck to you. He flashes his his badge over the maglock again and goes through the door and closes behind him. You four are now left in the dark parking lot. Mm-hmm.